Let's turn in our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right, let's see if you were paying attention this morning when uh, the Bible reading was done. Jeremy, could you, is that PowerPoint slide going to work? All right. So, question. How many wise men came to see Jesus? Huh? How many? Some. Hey? We, we say, we three kings of Orion are, we have no idea how many wise men came to see Jesus. What's the Bible say? The passage we read this morning. At least two, okay? It's more than one, magi, it's plural. Okay, magi came from the east. They likely would have traveled with an entourage and the whole thing, but where do we get the number three from? Three gifts. We don't know how many wise men came to see Jesus. Next one. What does the wise men or magi refer to? Are they men of the educated class, eastern kings, astrologers, men smart enough to follow the stars or sages? And, and I would take, as I put this together, and, and I would take exception. The answer is astrologers, but I would say that they were astronomers rather than astrologers. They were students of the stars, but they were not. Astrology is the prediction of the future, or is, you know, all the planets need to be alignment and how the planets affect your horoscopes and all the rest of that kind of stuff. They were not those kind of people, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them just a little bit later. Next one. The wise men found Jesus where? In a manger, a stable, a house, a holiday inn, or in a good mood? In a house. Okay, there are four nativity scenes in our house, right, dear? Four. 
I think every one of those has the wise men at the nativity scene. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) They found him in a house. Next one. The wise men stopped in Jerusalem. Why? To inform Herod about Jesus, find out where he was, ask about the star they saw to fill up with gas or to buy presents. To find out where he was, exactly. Um, <clears throat> they were men. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's like that old question, why did the Israelites wander in the desert for 40 years? Because Moses was a man. All right, next one. So here's a little bit more info. Joseph took baby Jesus, why? To show him the pyramids, to teach him the wisdom of the pharaohs, to put him in a basket in the reeds by the river because he dreamt about it or to be taxed, or Joseph did not take Jesus to Egypt or none of the above. Why did he take Jesus to Egypt? He dreamt about it. He did so. Next one. King Herod's of all the young boys under two in Bethlehem was a fulfillment of a prophecy by which Old Testament prophet? You see the list there. Which one? Which one? Well, all right. Take a look in your Bibles here. Okay, Matthew chapter 2. We need to be there to read that anyway this morning. <laughs> you know, this is, this is part of a, of a quiz that, that uh, we had our ministerial uh, Christmas social on Tuesday night. This is part of a quiz that one of the pastors gave to the ministerial. By the way, I got the highest mark. But <clears throat> you'd be surprised how many pastors bombed that quiz. It was sad. All right. Um, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 18. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. If you have a footnote in your Bible, that comes from where? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. All right, there you go. Thanks, Jeremy. Okay. I want to talk to you about the story of the wise men this morning. And it's a story that we've probably heard uh, many, many times. And if you've been around church much uh, or uh, around various Christmas programs, we were at the Wagner School Christmas program uh, this past week as well, you have seen tons of little wise men, right, uh, who came. And I, I will never forget um, one time in the old church there, you know, the wise men came up the aisle bearing gifts and baby Jesus was in this little manger and one of the wise men grabbed baby Jesus by the leg and picked him up. That's not a real baby and wham, back down. And, yeah. Um, this kid's dad was a NBI student, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so, how do you say or think or learn anything about new about an old story? The wise men or the magi or the gifts come to visit Jesus and they give him presents and a story. That's it, right? Or is it? Well, we may not need to come up with anything new. And one of the things that I've been experiencing this Christmas in my 
desperation of, of um, 20, almost 30 years of Christmas preaching is how do I say anything new about Advent or Christmas, and yet the reality is the story doesn't change, and the news doesn't change. And I don't have to try and be novel. There is a peace and there is a comfort in some of the familiarity. And so I'm not going to probably share anything new or radical with you this morning, but I just want us to think a little bit about a couple of the characters in this story. And what I would like to do is to contrast the Magi and King Herod in the story that we read here this morning. Now, much of it uh, this morning already Ken read for us, verses 1 through 12, and we won't go there again. The rest of it I'll read just a little bit later. How do you respond to Jesus? What do you do with this Christmas story? We know it. We've heard it. We're familiar with it. We've seen the wise men do their thing and numerous Christmas pageants. But what do you do with it? How do you respond to it? What do you do with this Jesus? Well, let's think a little bit about who the Magi were or the wise men or the kings. They were a group of people that came from northeastern what is now Iraq, used to be Babylon, somewhere in the neighborhood, the border of Iraq and Iran. And they were descendants of the Medes and the Parthians, the Persians, uh, the group of people that used to live there, and they formed a hereditary priesthood. They were monotheists, and they worshipped the one God, but they also studied the stars. They were astronomers rather than astrologers. But their duties included the absolute choice and election of the king of the realm. They were kingmakers. They were a priestly group of people, and they were also a politically powerful group of people. They were the ones who decided who the next king was going to be, and therefore it was a group of Persian or Parthian kingmakers who entered Jerusalem in the latter days of King Herod. Herod is another different story. He was a guy who cajoled and bribed his way into allowing Caesar Augustus or into getting Caesar Augustus to allow him to be king of Judea, king in Jerusalem. And even though he was granted that position by Caesar Augustus, it took him three years, including a five-month siege by the Romans of Jerusalem, to finally make it into his capital city. He was a paranoid, power-obsessed turkey. It's probably the best way to describe him. All kinds of political intrigue, incest, um, um, killed his own sons, and, and like the guy was just bizarre. And so here comes this group of kingmakers into Jerusalem, and Herod is just barely hanging on, and it's, he's toward the end of his reign because he, he's, he's just about at the point of his last illness. He's just barely politically hanging on by his toenails. And here comes this group of Parthian kingmakers asking him this question, where is the one who was to be born or has been born the king of the Jews? And Herod's going, (gasps) 
And this was a calculated insult to the one who had contrived and bribed his way into that office. So you have these two groups of people, or these two kinds of people. You have the Magi, who have studied the stars, and we don't know exactly what or how they saw. By the way, the star stopped over the place where the child was, which very likely wasn't the stable at the time. So in the nativity scenes, and if we would have seen this, this video here, the star, you know, would have been over the stable and blinking and, yeah. But take a look at verse 2 of Matthew 2. They asked Herod this question, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. What does it mean to worship? How do we define that term? In today's church culture, Many people define worship as that's the part of the service where we sing and where we raise our hands and, and we wave them around or we, or we dance or we clap or we, you know, you have instruments and you have drums and you have all the rest of that stuff and you have flags and banners and hands raised and, uh, and that whole thing and, and that is worship. And so, you know, I've kind of rebelled against the terminology of having a worship team because that, that kind of means that that's the part of the service that is worship, and then the rest of it is something else. And we come into this building to worship, but is worship something that only happens here in this building? Now, part of worship is exactly what I was just talking about. I remember there was an older gentleman used to come to this uh, not to this building, but he came to the other church. He's since passed away, but he used to complain to me at the door about the crashing and banging that went on at the front of the church. And he's talking about the drums and the guitars. He didn't like that stuff. And so my wife one time very gently spoke to him. Yeah, right. And, and she quoted from Psalm 149 and Psalm 150. Uh, and, you know, it says, Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp, for the Lord takes delight in his people. It's a good thing to worship God. Uh, Psalm 150, Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. If that isn't crashing and banging, I don't know what is. And that's certainly a part of worship, but worship is something more than that. The word that is used in the Bible means that you bow down before someone and you take that hand and you kiss that person's hand. Or in, in Bible words, what you would also do, you would bow before a sovereign and you would touch your head to the ground in submission because that showed that you were bowing to a superior. And you did that in order to express respect or to make supplication, to ask someone to seek something from the one to whom you were bowing. 
Now, before we expand that a little bit, you need to remember a little bit about this. What is the, or who is the object of worship? Who have we come into this building to worship? God Almighty. It's not about us. It's about Him, isn't it? It's not about about what makes me feel good. It's about bringing praise and honor and glory to God. And it is a good thing to worship God, but it is all about Him. But worship is also more than what you and I do here on a Sunday morning. Typically, on a Sunday morning, you come in here, you listen to some announcements, there's a Bible reading, there's a prayer, you give some money, uh, we do some singing, and sometimes there's special music like there was this morning, and, and we do some other things, and then I get to preach, excuse me, and we sing another song, and we all go home, and we say, well, now I've worshiped, I can go home, I've done my thing for the week. But think about this. I think that worship is more than church on Sunday morning. Worship, when you think about it, if I, am to, if I am to make obeisance or show my respect to a human sovereign, someone who is greater than I am, and I know in our culture we don't do that. We don't like this concept of kings and queens and royalty and all the rest. At least I don't. But worship involves respect. In everything that I do, I need to respect the one whose name I bear. You know, you watch the TV shows sometimes and, and, and you see uh, these law enforcement shows and the people who are in law enforcement have a, a big sign on their back, especially the, the cops. If they go in and do a raid, it says police on the back. And you and I have a sign on our back that says Christian, which means a Christ follower. I wear the name of Christ wherever I go, and I need to demonstrate, if I am to worship Jesus Christ, I need to demonstrate everywhere I go that I respect Him by the words that I use, by the actions that I take. By the way that I drive, by the way that I treat people, by the way that I treat my wife, by the way that I treat my children, I need to show that I respect the one who tells me what to do. That's worship. Worship involves honor. I will honor him by submitting to him. I will honor him by not just saying the words, but doing the things that he asks me and tells me to do and not doing the things that he tells me and not to do. I will honor him by imitating him, by becoming like him. I will submit to him. I will obey him. I will comply with what he tells me to do and tells me not to do. I will defer to him. In other words, when I make plans, I will say, Lord, whatever your plans are, I want to do those instead of my plans. I want to have you to have your way rather than me to have my way. I will defer. I will learn from him. I will change whatever I need to change. I will do what he tells me to do. You see, that's worship. It's a whole lot more than coming in here on a Sunday morning and maybe raising my hands or not raising my hands. 
Worship is a life. It's not something I do on Sunday mornings. And so we have a choice. We can emulate the wise men. They said, we have seen a star in the east, and they put themselves out. They embarked on a long and dangerous journey, left their homes, left their work, whatever they were doing, and took probably a total of a three-month journey. I don't know how you do that, quit work for three months and go on a trip. And they probably traveled with a retinue of people. And they sought out Jesus. They got dangerous. They went to Herod. Herod was not a nice guy. And they probably knew that. And they probably didn't give a rip about whether or not Herod liked them or not. Can you imagine? Hey, dude, uh, where's the guy that's going to take over from you? Not a good question to ask. Or you can be like Herod. You see, the Bible says that when Herod heard about this, he says, oh, by the way, you know, he makes like this, this, this nice guy, and he says, oh, by the way, he says, when you find him, bring word back to me so that I may go and worship him too. Yeah, right. You know what happened in the rest of the story. Joseph was warned in a dream to take baby Jesus to Egypt. And Herod went to Bethlehem. We heard about this, this, this massacre in, in Newtown, Connecticut last week. Twenty kids. Herod went and killed every kid under the age of, every boy under the age of two in Bethlehem. I have no idea how many that was. I have a hunch it was more than twenty in his attempt to get rid of Jesus. You see, to some people, like Herod, Jesus is a threat. Because if I allow Jesus into my life, he will tell me what to do. If I allow Jesus into my life, I might have to give up some of my pet things. I may have to let go of some stuff. I may have to submit to someone that I don't feel like submitting to do because I'm the guy that's got the power and I will not submit to anyone else. And so the way to deal with that is to drive Jesus out and to try and get rid of them. Why do you think people don't want to hear anything about Christmas? Why are we not allowed to say Merry Christmas anymore? One person in Saskatoon tried to get the Merry Christmas message off the buses in Saskatoon, and the city council stood up to that. And they said, we will say Merry Christmas, but we will also say Happy Holidays, and I think there was something about Hanukkah. Because Jesus offends people. And so you can try and push him out, Or you can come to him and bow the knee and get down on your hands and knees before him and say, Lord, I will submit. I will obey. I recognize that you are my sovereign. I will do what you tell me to do. I will submit myself in worship and the very act of getting down on your knees with your head to the floor. I don't know if you've ever done that. Maybe you need to do that.
You see, in the East, it's a very common expression. Muslims do it all the time. Why can't you and I do that? We're stubborn. We're, we're proud. We're whatever. We're independent. We're pig-headed. And so you can either be like Herod and be threatened by Jesus, or you can be like the wise men, and you can put yourself out and worship him and submit to him. And I trust that you and I will be able to do that this morning. There's wisdom in doing that. There's humility. It is humbling. It is humiliating. If I am to submit to Jesus Christ, he will probably ask me to do things that I'm not used to doing, things that I don't feel like doing, and things that will make me feel like a total idiot. Yep. And you know what? It's okay. I had a friend one time, I think I've told you this story before, when I was in Bible college, there was a mission called Open Air Campaigners. And they were the ones who taught me to do watercolors on a sketchboard, and I've done some of those messages sometime. And the whole purpose of that was these guys would preach on the street corners. The mission got its start in Australia number of people and, and engaged in it in a number of different cities in the U.S. and New Zealand. And one of my friends was going to go with open-air campaigners to Ireland to preach on the streets of the cities in Ireland. Been accepted by the mission. He was in his last year of Bible college. And he was on his way to Ireland after graduation to, to preach on the streets of Ireland. And someone asked him, aren't you afraid? Aren't you worried about what people will think about you when you're preaching on the streets of Ireland? And he said, yes, I am. But he said, I'm a lot more concerned about what my Jesus is going to think of me when I'm preaching on the street of Ireland than I am about what people think of me when I'm preaching on the streets of Ireland. Worship is not something you do on Sunday morning. Worship is something that you and I do with our entire lives. It's something we do in the privacy of our homes where no one else knows what's going on, what comes out of my mouth, and what actions I take during inside the four walls of my home. Worship is what happens between me and my wife. Worship is what happens between me and my children. Worship is what happens when I walk the streets of this community, when I interact with various people in this community. Worship is the way that I drive. Worship is the way that I conduct myself in the restaurant and the store. Worship is the way that I conduct myself when somebody makes me angry and cheeses me off. Worship is the way that I submit to Jesus Christ. The wise men came and worshiped him. Herod rejected him. So my question, what are you going to do with it? You need to make a choice. What are you going to do with it? One is humiliating. The other one allows you to maintain your sense of self-worth or whatever it is that you have which is pretty small to begin with. Let's pray. Father, there's a stubborn, selfish streak that runs deep and wide within each 
and every single one of us. And oh, Lord, how we hate to submit. How we hate to knuckle under to someone else telling us what to do. But Father, worship is a whole lot more than coming to church on Sunday morning and singing the songs and putting money in the plate and going home thinking everything's cool when it isn't. And so, Lord, help us to truly worship, to submit ourselves before you physically, spiritually, mentally, in every way possible. And Father, guard us from the sin of Herod, the sin of pride and rejection and stubbornness and refusal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.